0: Welcome to Casa de Cambio. On this episode of Casa de Cambio, I am delighted to be joined by Lottie Roberts. Welcome, Lottie.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Oh, So good to have you here. Um, how have you been?
1: Really good, thank you. Yes, very well. Um, it's, been, it's the end of the day. I'm a few hours ahead of you, so just coming up top past seven here. It's been a nice, full, but also fulfilling day.
0: wonderful. Wonderful. Um, And before we get into today's podcast topic, a couple of questions I ask all the guests who come on to Casa de Cambio is what are you currently watching, reading or listening to?
1: I've actually just finished a book and just starting a book because I alternate fiction and nonfiction. That's how I roll. I don't like to read more than one book at the same time. So I just finished um, this one, Wild and Precious Life by Sarah Wilson, which I think is just a book that every human on this planet should read every leader should read it's an amazing amazing book but not a book to be read lightly and read quickly so i did take my time over it and i've just started um the survivor by jane harper as my nick as my fiction so now i'm going on to my fiction jane Harper's is a aussie writer and she wrote the dry you might have heard of the dry so yeah oh, great yeah and what i'm listening to um so i love listening to pop podcasts i'm a real podcast fan Uh, And I try to listen to a big variety. So some are mindfulness ones and some are, you know, I'm always trying to find different ones to just really challenge my brain, particularly in areas I wouldn't necessarily ever listen to. But the one I listened to the other day, which is kind of a little bit related to what I do, was um, on the Knowledge Project and it was called um, Indistractable. And it's all about how to kind of be focused and minimize distractions so you can focus on what matters most. Um, And it was I really recommend anybody to listen to it. It was a really, really good. Yeah. Listen,
0: I need that. I'm going to get onto it. That's a great recommendation. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can send it to you. Um, and speaking of avoiding distractions, the topic we're going to talk about today is mindfulness and how we can incorporate mindfulness into cha- our change management practice and managing change in organizations. So Maybe taking a step back, you started, mind you, or mind you and Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to start, mind you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've been working in the field of change. Um, I was actually thinking today because I normally say over twenty years. I've realised it's actually about twenty five years now. Um, I like to use the joke of I started when I was like five. <laughs> it's getting a bit <laughs> old now. And people don't believe that anymore. But it was kind of before it was even like change management was seen as a proper change competency. Mm-hmm. Um, so back in the day, back then, I worked for British Telecom. You can probably tell by the accent that I'm not um, born and bred Kiwi. I am a, a Kiwi citizen, NZ citizen now. But yeah, I lived in the UK back then, and I was working in telecom industries and. It was at that stage where they were kind of moving from like analog, this is how old I am, analog to kind of more digital. So it was like when the internet was just kind of kicking off and they were setting up, you know, British Telecom was setting up like an internet operations centre. And so this was a massive change in capabilities and things like that for people. So I'd always um, kind of been doing stuff around people, organising events, things like that. But they wanted somebody to kind of look at how do you move men up poles like tele- telegraph telephone poles to being Cisco network engineers. Like how do you move someone like that that's been in the company for that long and give them the opportunity to reskill? So I kind of embraced and took that on which is obviously like change management and delivery and like how do you get those people to a new way of working? How do you, um, and it was kind of a big, it was a big change program as well because we were, all, we were building the new building for the internet operations center. So that's kind of how I started. Um, So over that time, I've done a lot of delivery of change at project and program level and then went into more leadership roles um, around kind of strategic change and transformation. My my last job before I set my business up three years ago was I was uh, like the GM for strategic change and transformation at the Bank of New Zealand, BNZ. And um, so I had a business unit of about 200 people. So as well as the change managers, I had project managers and business analysts and the um, transformation office. So I've seen change done from all angles. And the thing that I really have always been drawn to is a mindset of change. And um, I kind of left that role because I kind of felt that in a way I'd gone more into operational side and um had come away from the part of change that I really love so I left my that role and didn't know what I was going to do but started um I knew it would be something to do with mindfulness and change because I'd done i would become a practitioner of mindfulness myself 10 years ago to manage uh, chronic pain and um, it had completely changed my leadership it completely changed the way I managed myself, led myself and led others and looked at change. And I saw that change done well is mindfulness in action. So I knew it would be something that brought mindfulness and change together, but I really didn't know what that would look like at the time. Yeah. So three years now, my business has been going.
0: Amazing. And how did it change how you led and change how you thought about change?
1: Yeah, so I guess I should kind of back the truck a bit and say what mindfulness, is like kind of give a little bit of an overview of what mindfulness is because I think mindfulness kind of get, needs a little bit of a rebrand. A lot of people think mindfulness is about being calm and, you know, um, sort of being all Zen and indeed maybe a byproduct may, may be that you're calmer and more relaxed or whatever, but that's not really what mindfulness is. Mindfulness is about kind of being present, You know, the the definition, I think it's Oxford definition, is to be present, you know, um, to be aware of what's going on in the present moment, um, you know, without judgment and with openness or something along those lines is the exact definition. But it's really experiencing the nature of reality. And one of the backdrops of mindfulness is that everything is changing all of the time. And what actually causes us a lot of suffering, frustration, discomfort, is our inability to deal with the fact that everything is changing. Uncertainty is a given, change is happening all the time. Mm-hmm. And so you can see that really when you look at, at mindfulness, if I was to look, I was looking at like the definition of change as the action or result of something becoming different, you know, or the process of replacing something old with something new and doing to get a business outcome or to get, you know, a benefit. And change management is the discipline that guides how we prepare people. Well, mindfulness is about building the skills to be able to deal with change in our lives. And so how can that not be something that's really useful in the business world? I mean, there's a lot more to it. I've just given a really small rendition of something that I've been training for years. (laughs) and I am a trained mindfulness teacher. Um, And so yeah so I as far as how I showed up I noticed that I was obviously a lot more present as a busy leader now what I see all the time is um overwhelm overwhelm everywhere everyone I work with everything I do and you know even even before I left the corporate world one of the things I was quite hot on was building kind of change capability to so To enable people across the organization to deal with change themselves. And, um, you know, you can have a, and, and, and part of that is about how much change you put on people and how clever you are at managing priorities and focusing on what matters most. And you can put changes quite often done, like lots of individual changes. So, so, you can do a really good change strategy that's perfectly executed and beautifully done and has been had a real expert that's been delivering it, et cetera. But if that's falling in place with 10 other changes at the same time, it's just not going to stick. People don't have the capacity to be able to deal with it. So, um, one, I think by being present, you can pay attention more to what matters most. And that's certainly what I was doing as a leader. And you know, don't get me wrong. It's not like a flip to switch. It happened over time. I had a lot more self-compassion. I didn't beat myself up so much. I still don't, but this is a work in progress. I believe we all are. Um, So you start to really notice the inner critic and say, I see you, you know, that's there. in everyone start to um, really start to look after yourself better, uh, really honor the mindset and emotions of change. So, All of these things, as a leader, I just started being better to be around, more focused on what really mattered, more grounded, um, more open, less judgmental. Um, And like I say, this happened over time. And so now something I'm very passionate about is mindful leadership and mindful change and mindful workplaces. And that's really the heart of what I do in my business, which is a business of me. And I've got one other person that supports me. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's, so busy. It's just like I'm it, but I'm so passionate about the need for this right now, more than ever with everything that is going on. I'll probably pause there. Cause I could go on and on and on about this.
0: <laughs> well, I think that's a good segue into the next thing I wanted to ask you for us, um, change practitioners, how can we incorporate mindfulness into our own change practice?
1: Great. So, um, so I think I'll just go a little bit back to kind of the, a bit about the why because yes. I, we're in this age of the attention economy, so it's busier than ever. And you can see I'm a change manager because I build the story up, like the why, the how. <laughs> <laughs> you can see, I've got that background. And I, when I do presentations on on this, I say like, we li- has anybody been to Vegas? And normally a p- couple of people in the audience have. And I say, what Vegas? What's Vegas like? And it's like. There's always something to do. It's 24 hours nonstop. It's like an assault on the Mm senses. It's great. You love it, but you wouldn't want to live there. Uh And I believe the environment we're in, particularly in the workplace, is it's like a Vegas on our Mm senses. And the research shows that we only actually pay attention to what's happening right now about half the time, okay? And when we're not paying attention, we are our mind, and this is like, it's not like, I want to be really clear. It's like, it's not, nobody's doing anything wrong. It's just how we are as humans. So, you know, our mind wanders off. We talked about that before we started the podcast and when our mind wanders off, it often wanders off to the worst case scenario or to places that aren't helpful or it's not focusing on what's most important and it's missing really key stuff. So if you think about that in terms of change, like you've got half your stakeholders aren't even listening and paying attention to what you're rolling out. That's just a given. That's just mm-hmm. the stats before you've even done anything, even if it's a, a really great change strategy. And then when they pay attention, they are basically programmed to the negative. We're five times more likely to think negative than positive, to see things, to see change as a negative than a positive. And our mind, like uh, there's a quote that our mind's like, Teflon for positive experiences and like Velcro for negative. And that's so true when we go through change. So all of this happening and the biggest problem in the work as general, it, it, as in general is distractedness. So being, I don't even know if distractedness is a word, but I've decided it is one. <laughs> I've made it up. And um, stress. So those two things. And that's what we're dealing with. And change is hard if you take those away. So you put those into mix, it's harder. So in terms of how we can kind of really help people and organizations manage change well, um, I think the first thing I normally say is you need to kind of build a really good, the first thing is like build a really good change change capability into the DNA of how things work. So it's about getting people to understand that change isn't just something that visits every now and again. And then it leaves, and then it comes again, and then it leaves. And there's like this, like normal certainty. Everything is solid, and nothing changes in between. It's how it used to be in the olden days. You'd have like freeze, unfreeze, change, refreeze. It's Norming, change all forming,
0: the time. Storming, performing.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so when you, so that's uh, this, you know, background of mindfulness is everything changes. So you're starting to get an acknowledgement that everything is changing all the time. And so therefore everybody has a responsibility to manage and navigate and lead change, no matter what role they're in, no matter what industry, everybody has accountability And sometimes this is actually a little bit hard as well for change managers to hear because they've made an industry, they want to be helpful. So they want to do the doing rather than build the capability. Um, But I'm a real believer about building the capability. Even me as, um, you know, going in and consulting and delivering programs, I don't want people to need me for very long. I've done my job if I've made myself redundant very quickly. I agree. Yeah. 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 And so that's hard for some people because they kind of feel well, what am I without being a change manager that does the doing and delivers us change strategy. And, but there's a, there's a quote by um, a guy called Jon Kabat-Zinn who is very well known in the mindfulness world, which is you can't stop the waves, but you can learn how to surf. Mm. And I like to think that my whole philosophy is about teaching people how to surf. And sometimes teaching, and it's just about staying on the board. So sometimes teaching people how to surf is beautiful backflip flips in the waves, but sometimes it's just the ability to cling to the board so you don't fall off. And so, you know, I think organisations need to build that capability to enable their people to be resilient, to know that change is here to stay, to not see it as the enemy, to fair enough, feel uncomfortable, but, you know, so that's why the mindset and resilience is really important. Um, other things is, uh, the ability, like building in this capacity of what you stop and what you let go of in organizations. So one of the foundational attitudes of mindfulness is letting go. Okay. And, um, I use this story, which is, you might've heard of how they catch monkeys in the jungle. I don't believe they do catch them like this. It's a little bit of a kind of a proverb is they put some nuts in the ground and they, um, in a, uh, like a jar. So they put a hole in the ground, they put nuts in the jar And the monkeys come along and they smell the nuts and they find the hole and they put their hand in the hole and then they make a fist around the nuts. And when they make a fist, they can't get their hand out of the jar, but they will not let go of those nuts. So they get caught. (laughs) And so I, I say to people, literally senior execs, I'm like, what nuts are you let are you holding on to? You need to let go of your nuts. What are your nuts? So these are the beliefs, the things that we're doing, the processes, the convoluted processes, the extra things that really aren't a priority, but we've but we've believed they've served us for so long, and we will not let go of them, and they hold us back. And I say it's like running into the wind with a parachute behind you. If you let go, all of a sudden you've got some momentum. So I think looking at what you stop in organisations during change, what you don't do, it may be stuff that is still great stuff to do, but it's less of a priority and it holds back the stuff that is a priority. So this is about really, you know, focusing on priorities. Another thing is really honouring the emotional side of change. So I do a lot of work around emotional culture. How do, people, how do you want people to feel during change and not feel? How do you know they're feeling that way? And when you when you look at how you don't want them to feel, it's about stuff you don't want them to feel, but you realise it's a reality. So it's not realistic to think that people are are not going to feel uncomfortable during change or not going to feel anxious. So once you kind of realise they're the most uh, realistic unpleasant emotions that are going to hold people back to be in that kind of negative response and resistance, you can start to honour them. Look at what you can do to support people through them. And then people are more likely to kind of have that um, opening that lets them listen to the why of the change and what they need to do. And so I've used, I've used, There's a few things in there. I've got, I've got a few more. I, I usually go to about seven oh. that I talk about in presentations. I talk to people a lot about the power of pause and how important it is to to like stop. And um, in in that ability to stop, you can start to listen to what's going on you can start to get the key messages you can start to really gather yourself and be in that kind of space where you are more able to think positively and see the positive aspect of the change and see what you can do so people are, there's kind of an opening that goes on when people start to stop and what i see is that people don't stop people don't pause and when you're busy. And when you're overwhelmed and going back to the emotions of change, um, I do, you know, I'll say, what well, the top five emotions you want to feel not feel literally every single workshop I've done in every organization overwhelmed is in the top five, if not the number one things that people don't want to feel, but they realize it's a reality. Yeah. And so when you're feeling overwhelmed, the most counterintuitive thing to do in the world is to pause and stop. Yeah. And um, the, that yeah the thing that I was saying is about your the question that you asked which we haven't I know you haven't asked me yet about what's the best career advice you ever had and I've got one but I also thought about it and I was like you know the best career advice is the advice I never got and I wish I'd got because I might have realized earlier I did have one which was actually somebody said I needed to listen more (laughs) and (laughs) I took that on board I've never forgot it and I i I have practiced listening like it's a muscle that I need to do bicep curls every day because it's hard in a world of distractions to really listen. It takes Mm. concentration, but it's profound. But actually the best career advice is the best career advice I never got and I wish I had, and that is the importance of space, the importance of pausing regularly and self-care. Because if I don't pause, if I don't have space, and if I don't look after myself, I have no capacity to listen. I have no capacity to make good decisions through change and through leadership decisions. I have no capacity to really focus on what's most important and meaningful. And I've no capacity to learn and take in new information. So Building that into organizations, which goes with the letting go I talked about, you know, you letting go of stuff might provide some, some space. Um, we did an interesting exercise when I was in my role at BNZ where we counted up all the hours we thought it took for frontline staff to adopt and go through all the things they needed to learn about new changes going through. We had something called the Change Impact Forum and we kind of every month we could see all the changes and we'd done them small, medium and like a small was less than half an hour to learn what you needed to do for the change and medium was up to two hours and more than two hours was um, large. And we counted up in one week, it was 40 hours. Now, 40 hours is a full-time job. Of course, nobody's going to take 40 hours to learn all they need to do to adopt the change so they're going to self-select what they think they need to know what's most important there's no way they've got capacity probably to even learn three or four hours of stuff so why don't we just give them some capacity and give them less stuff to remember Mm. but that's profound leaders don't want to do that you know they want to do everything they want the moon on a stick
0: and nobody (laughs) wants to admit oh actually my thing maybe isn't as important as my colleagues thing you know everybody is like no no no. my thing's really important it needs the time and yeah they they struggle to have those prioritization conversations and they're also you know driven by timelines like we need it now it's running behind now 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 and I totally hear you about the stopping and pausing because that's something that I am terrible at you know I am that person who's like well I'm not going to take a lunch break because then I'll just have to work later that's you know unproductive yeah I am that person. Yeah.
1: And, at, and at some point you can't take any more on. And there's a game that I used to play when I was a kid and it's a really good analogy. It's called buckaroo. And I don't know if you've seen it, it's like a horse and you put things on his saddle, you like hook things on, it gets to a point where he can't take any more and he bucks everything off. Mm. And going through changes is a bit like that. Or or just in organisations, I mean, because an organisation is just a change fest anyway. You're just putting something else on, putting something else on at some point, people are just going to everything else. They just can't take anymore, but you don't know if they're going to select the stuff that's most important. So why don't you just give them the stuff that's most important, Mm. you know? And so we, it's becoming more and more important for us to look at that. Um, We are, we're distracted. We've got this productivity addiction. We believe we have no worth or no value if we're not productive, um, And it's, you know, it's causing people to be stressed. It's causing people to be overwhelmed. It's causing people to be sick and just to not be able to do their roles properly because we just want more, more, more. Mm. And uh, it's, it's like saying that we've, you know, people are more overwhelmed than ever. They're more stressed than ever. We've got more uncertainty and more what I call kind of wicked complex problems to deal with. And so with that, it kind of, it's it's getting to that tipping point so we've got to really kind of strip back to what's the most important thing and that's really hard because we're in this culture of just wanting more 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 um so it's going to take this is why the leadership the leadership of change the leadership of organizations now more than ever it's so important yeah
0: great and so we've talked about incorporating mindfulness into our change practice and kind of crossed over, I think, there into how mindfulness can drive better outcomes in, you know, corporate and business settings, particularly around leaders. Um, Is there anything else you wanted to share around on your mindfulness journey and what you've learned?
1: Um, I think the power of perspective uh, is pretty profound for us as humans individually dealing with each other, but certainly through change. Um, So have this phrase get a perspective on your perspective. So when leaders roll out change or organisations roll out change, they do it for the, you know, for the best intent. Um, They see it from a certain angle. Their stakeholders see it from a certain angle. So I think it's very important as we implement and go through change to stay as open as possible to all different perspectives. So to almost be through the organisation like water, you know, to really understand, there may be some real wisdom in parts of the organization that you've kind of not tapped into. That might have a perspective that's really helpful to make the change or what you're trying to do better. Um, but then also just understanding if people are resistant to change, they're normally, well, pretty much always not doing it just to be a pain in the back backside. They're actually they've they're either overwhelmed or they're seeing that there's a problem with the change, or they know something. So I think being really curious and asking questions, as you're going through change and listening, and, you know, it may be, we talked uh, before we started recording about the importance of, you know, feedback, um, mm-hmm. in terms of asking, uh, listening, asking people to provide feedback, and then saying, yes, I heard you, I got that feedback, I might not do something that's specifically going to address that feedback because I don't believe that we need to, and this is why, but acknowledge that you got the feedback. Otherwise people will get more and more disconnected from you. They won't speak up when they've actually got something that is going to be really useful. So I think that's another thing. And then just really, um, you know, there's some attitudes of mindfulness that I think are really important to bring into the workplace and to think about during change. Um, acceptance and allowing is one of them. So this acceptance that change is just going to be constant. We are going to feel uncomfortable a lot of the time. That is the nature and reality of being in an ever-changing environment. Um, the the uh, barrier that judgment can have, you know, if you're quick to judge that somebody is resistant because they're being awkward or somebody doesn't know what they're talking about or, you know, what judgments are we making? Are we being patient? We are very impatient generally, but some things take take time. Um, Beginner's mind is another one which is going into it with a sense of wonder. You know, you might have done it before, but maybe before was at a different time and we could do the same thing now and there'll be a different result because everything else in the environment is different now. Um, Letting go, I talked about. And kindness and compassion, how unbelievably important. I think because people hear about like gratitude And that's another one, gratitude and generosity and kindness and compassion. They think it's Pollyanna stuff. This is how you rewire the negativity bias that we have in our brain is to actually bring kindness, compassion, gratitude, and generosity to the table a lot more. And there was a a piece of research that was done with 35,000 C-suite leaders. This links into this. Um, that were seen as really successful leaders, not just in terms of their hard business results, but their people when they did engagement surveys saw them as being really, you know, inspiring leaders that they wanted to listen to. Um, so they got really good engagement scores. And they were asked what were the top things that led their success that they believed, like the, the top success factors. And there were three things that came out really strongly. The first one was Mindfulness. I don't know what order they're in. So I'll say the first one's order, but they're just three, top three. Um, so mindfulness. So this is about presence, really listening. You have to be aware and present to pick up on perspectives, to pick up on nonverbal cues, all of that, to, to listen to ideas. Um, and also to be aware of yourself as a leader of how you're showing up. You know, are you role modeling? Or I talk, you probably know about the change curve. Every change manager knows about the change curve. And I say leaders are either a tailwind through that or they're a headwind. Their mm-hmm. behaviors, I call them headwind and tailwind behaviors. Yeah. So, um, so it was, uh, mindfulness was one. The next was selflessness. Are you in it for yourself? This is about like your ego versus being in it for the greater good. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that kind of enterprise thinking. And then the third one was compassion, compassionate leadership. Um, and you know, compassion for yourself. You know, a lot of leaders that have got up the ladder very quickly tend to be hard drivers. They strive hard. They want real results, and they're normally not only hard on their staff, but incredibly hard on themselves. And they're the ones that tend to burn out very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, self-compassion—if you can't bring it in, you can't give it out. So, you know, it's it's so important to bring that compassion to the table. And one of the things that stops people being compassionate is overwhelm, you know. Yeah. I call it the yeah. the um the the near enemy of you know something an enemy is something that stops it doing its job. So yeah so there are another few things that um you could sprinkle in obviously you can probably tell I could talk about this for some time and oh, <laughs> really like my this big has been thing a is- treasure
0: trove of um <laughs> hacks and you know ideas and tidbits and all very actionable. So it's been amazing. Um, I was going to say, like, when you talk about people being overwhelmed and not performing, I think everybody has a tell. You can tell when someone's overwhelmed and stressed, and it might be that they're a bit short with people, or maybe they're a bit spaced out, um, and they're, you know, not concentrating and they're not, um, you know, as, as sharp as they usually are. And yeah, you can tell straight away, you're like, okay, this person's clearly very stressed. I wonder what's going on. That's making them. You know, yell at my colleague or yell at me in front of my whole team. Um, and yeah, I, I try to be very mindful. I know what mine are. Um, and I try to be really mindful not to display those behaviors. Um, and I think I've gotten a lot better at it over the years. But yeah, I think it's interesting when you talk about people are overwhelmed because if you don't have, the other thing is if you don't have your thinking time you know, if you're trying to think about what is the best way of doing this, or really think about why is, you know, what is the solution to this problem, you can't think through that stuff if you don't have the time. Um, and before we hit record, I was talking about going for a walk. Like if I've got a problem, I love got just going for a walk and seeing, you know, what I can think up um, mm-hmm. while I'm walking, you know, through the streets of my neighborhood or or whatever. And often, you know, you'll find an idea or a solution or I'll say, I'll oh, let me sleep on it. Cause maybe I'll wake up tomorrow and be like, Oh oh my God, of course. But when you're in that high stress now, now, now overwhelmed, you don't do that. You just execute and you, you just keep doing busy work. Even if you know, sometimes you think, Oh, this, I don't, I know that there could be a better way, but I just don't have the time to put into changing it. And you, be, yeah.
1: And, yeah. and that, that's so well said. I mean, you're, you're illustrating beautifully the power of space and pause like giving yourself that space and it's it's so easy like you know i love listening to podcasts i talked about that earlier but what i realized is if i whenever i go out for a walk if i'm always listening to a podcast i'm not allowing my brain space just to wonder and think. And when I give it that, I come up with the best ideas, Well, I think they're good. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'll give you an example of something that happened today. So I had a, an incredibly, like the last 24 hours, a quite a busy 24 hours for me. Now I actually actively build in a lot of space in my time now, in my schedule, because I know you know because I'm, I'm writing stuff from scratch i'm having to give a lot of energy i do a lot of one on one work and then workshop facilitation i hold retreats things like that so i have to really protect my energy and build in a lot of space so it's very rare i actually do have a day like i've just had but like last night i taught um, my eight week mindfulness course so that was that's like a two and a half hour workshop which is you know facilitation I went to bed, I work up early. I always have these rituals in the morning where I do a workout, I meditate. And then I taught yoga. So I taught yoga because I teach yoga as well. So I taught yoga online at 7am. And then I tagged in from my husband and I spent some time doing handicrafts with my six-year-old before dropping him off at school. Yes. And then I came back and delivered a virtual workshop for two hours online and went straight into town and did three back-to-back coaching clients. Oh my God. I had 45 minutes in between where I sat down and looked at your questions for this podcast. And then I had another hour session and then I came home, cooked dinner and then did this. So that's a busy day, right? Yeah. And that day would have had me a few years ago, just rushing from one thing to the next thing, to the next thing and how it has shown up in everything would have been this kind of busy frenetic energy mm-hmm. that I'm sure you would have seen being in a workplace And what I was really aware of today, as I was going to each meeting, and I always do try to build in 15 minutes in between so I'm not rushing so much. I could feel in my mind that urge to walk really quickly to my next thing. And then I went, no, I'm going to walk slowly. I'm going to feel my breath in my body. I'm going to feel my feet on the ground. And each meeting I turned up with at, I could feel this, I call it embodied awareness. You can call it woo-woo if you like, but it's like, rather than like, if I was to think of a picture, it's almost like quite often when you're really busy, your brain, your head is four meters ahead of your body. You're rushing. You can almost feel it's like we have out of body experiences all the time because our brains aren't in what's happening right now in our body. But today, every moment of the day I could feel I turned up and I really turned up present to each thing. Now I couldn't do that. Seven days a week, you know, it's because I build in space that I'm able to. But it's just an analogy, and hopefully, it kind of gets across. Leaders, you know, I used to be an athlete, and one of the things as an athlete, like he's a competitive runner, you'd have my coach would say we do a warm up, we do the event or the race or the session, and then we do a cool down. Mm. When when we go into meetings, really, we need a warm up before we get into the meeting, so it's a really productive meeting and we're focused. And then we need a cool down to leave to get our brain set, putting a full stop or a you know a line under that meeting, so that we're then prepared and ready to put our energy into the next meeting. That's not what happens. No, People no. go from one meeting, and when you're when they come into your meeting, they're still in the last meeting for the first fifteen minutes of that meeting, mm-hmm. you know. And so we're not building that into time for anybody. And I think it's paying a real um we're, we're paying a price for it. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah.
0: we didn't even get time to go to the bathroom, let alone (laughs) mentally prepare, you know, and I've, you know, very recently been thinking I've got to run a workshop tonight, I'm facilitating this meeting, I need to get, you know, try it because I like to get ready and prepare so I can do a good facilitation job. But then when you've got back to back meetings all day, it's like, well, I might be lucky if I can drop off five minutes early and have a quick bathroom break Mm. Um, and then I can facilitate And, you know, and in regards to your day, like it is nighttime there for you. I'm impressed because I run workshops too. And I understand how much energy it takes to facilitate a two-hour workshop. You've got to be on. You can't be tired. If you are tired, you've got to draw on your reserves. (laughs) So you don't seem like someone who's been rushing around all day and doing heaps of stuff. You seem very relaxed.
1: Thank you. Like, I <laughs> kind of see that as a real compliment because yeah. that's not the Lottie that, you know, if anybody listens to this, it used to work for me, they wouldn't have seen that a lot of the time. They would have yeah. seen somebody that was stressed. And, and in the essence of who I am, that I am an open, relaxed person, but I found I got more and more bogged down and burnt out in my leadership career. So I wasn't actually showing up as who I really was. And I can remember actually some days sitting at my desk thinking, Please, nobody come up to me and approach me. I've got too much on. I can't engage with anyone, and that was like a wake up call because I, yeah. when I first started as a leader, I used to love that part of my role, being approached and people coming to me. And so I think when leaders get to that point, um, they, you know, they they need to, and that and that's the point where they go, I've got no capacity to stop. Then that's when you need to mm. stop. Mm-hmm. You, and, and you need to take time it's like when I say to people you know meditate for 20 minutes every day or 10 minutes every day unless you don't have time and then double it <laughs> 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 when, when you say you haven't got time is when you probably need it the most and that's why I, I'm very passionate about kind of looking at what I can do to help leaders flourish and so that people can flourish during mm-hmm. change and flourish is at the upper end of the mental health spectrum by the way it's like but normally we're languishing we're not flourishing so,
0: um, yeah, Can I ask you one question, one thing that popped into my head and I've been in this situation before, and I'm sure many, and you might've been Lottie and many of the listeners might've been, we're talking about, yeah, take some time out, do some meditation. Yeah. And I've been in situations where, you know, I am literally in back-to-back meetings all day and I've got so much work to do. And, you know, I end up doing my work outside of business hours. Like, and I'm not in control of my schedule, and I have—I don't like it when I'm not in control. But you know, when you're working as a change manager on a busy project, um, or any you know sort of corporate job, I suppose, you can have situations where you try. And I've done this—I've tried to block out time, and it just gets taken up by—I'm using air quotes—urgent meetings. Do you have any advice for people who might be in that situation where they're kind of mid-level and they can't—they they can't just say, oh, "I'm going to go for a walk." Um, what? What? Like how can we help cope with that and, and try and bring back some control?
1: Cause there's a couple of things cause it's a big and very important question. Mm. Um, the first part of the answer, people are probably not going to like <laughs> cause it's, it's about letting go of your nuts mm. um, when you've been a pleaser and not used to saying no and not putting down boundaries and, um, And so the first thing would be about like really laying some boundaries and sticking to them. It's like. Boundaries of
0: steel. I love it.
1: Yeah. So do you know what I actually call it? I call it tender discipline. Mm. So I did a little, uh, I actually wrote a blog about this that you can find on LinkedIn and on my site, but I did this like little exercise of what's my relationship with discipline. And I realized my relationship with discipline is like boot camp. Like it's like go hard or go home. Um, you know, I just burn myself out um until I hit the wall. Um, I can't say no, all of this. And then I like the word discipline means to be a disciple unto yourself. And so that doesn't really marry up. And so I then kind of looked at that, and I didn't come up with the term tender discipline, I I I pinched it off someone else. You know, all the best ideas are normally pinched off someone else. So it's um somebody called Justin K. Gly who does amazing work on productivity, on productivity shame, she calls it. Um, And she talks about tender discipline, which is, you know, the way you can do that. And I set out a few ideas in the blog is you um, start to say you have to say no to some things. You put some boundaries. And, you know, if it's like you want a job done, ask a busy person. Well, like, no, we need to get rid of that. You know, it's like we love being the busy person that, you know, go and ask Natasha, she'll get it done. But it's starting to put some of those boundaries up. And I've always been pretty good about protecting my time outside of work because I believe overtime is a gift. Doesn't mean you never do it, but when you give it, you give it as a gift and it's received graciously. And it's, yeah. it's an exception. It's not a rule.
0: Correct. So, I agree. I have a personal policy, don't work for free. And if you work at night or on the weekend, you're working for free. Mm,
1: yeah. And, I mean, yeah, some impact. people charge, but some But it's also just the impact on your capacity to refill your cup, you know, to be able to have that energy to then mm. show up well. And you said like you get these signs when you're not showing up well. And it's like, what can you do? So I call it right, a tender, tender to-do list. So when you go through your to-do list, have a look at it and see what's on there that actually is kind of going to nourish you and keep your energy and keep you revived so you've got capacity to do stuff that really matters. So that might mean taking a few things off and then putting a few things on. A really good exercise is you can go through your day and say what things nourish you and what things deplete you. And you'll be quite an eye-opener and some of the things you can replace but some of them it's just about your attitude it's like you see something like i can do it with my children you can see um doing some of these tasks with them as being draining but actually if i turn my attitude around it's an opportunity to really be with them and play and they're not always going to want to hang out with me so i now see time with my children as such a source of nourishment when i was a busy burnout leader like it was just an extra thing I had to do I was processing my children they were literally something I was checking off my to-do list (laughs) so that's the first part that people will have to do some work on to let go of their nuts if they've been a people pleaser and they find it hard to do that so just take your time it's a practice Mm. the other is to Put little mindful pauses in your day. So I mean, I've got some meditations that are on SoundCloud and also on Insight Timer that are like three to four minutes long. Mm. And you could literally, and I sometimes, you know, I've locked myself in the in the downstairs toilet to have three mindful minutes away from my children because I needed it, you know. Mm-hmm. So you can do them anyway. If you've got a big presentation, you could, you know, go to the ladies or men's and do them there. Even a mindful minute you know so like set your timer for 1 minute and just count your breaths and be with your breath for a minute it's incredible it gets the nervous system kind of um uh so the the sympathetic nervous system gets deactivated you can start to activate the parasympathetic nervous system which is your rest and recover and is also a really important part to kind of being able to show up better and get the brain, all the executive functioning parts of the brain, I could go, that's a separate podcast because I'm a real neuroscience geek, <laughs> um, you know, but getting your brain kind of back online in terms of all the functions of the brain that are needed to solve problems, make decisions, and be creative. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, that's great advice. Um, it's funny because I give that advice to others and I struggle to uh, take my own advice sometimes, and I'm sure many other people do. Um Absolutely. I had a boss, hi Dan, if, I know you're listening, um, at Telstra and uh, he, I, and a couple of others, we used to sneak off and meditate once a week. We'd just book a meeting room, one that had, you know, um, frosted glass on the walls and yeah, like we'd get an app and pick a meditation and yeah, it would take 10 minutes and it was awesome Yeah. Um, and we didn't feel like weirdos because we were doing it in a little group and then yeah. other people started saying, oh, you've got a little meditation like, can I come? We're like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was yeah. really good. Um, And, you know, so many people are into that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I, I highly recommend that. But then the problem is once you get into that
1: room and you have your meditation, you don't want to leave the room. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> oh, no, you don't want to go back that way. I want to stay here. And you talked about, I mean, I talked to some tips that were specific to change, but really... You know, I think it's about kind of changing the system, the workplace system. Mm-hmm. And so I, it, things, if you can get a more mindful workplace, then you will be delivering change better. Like it, change will just happen so much more organically and better. And, um, you know, just little things like having meeting free days or blocks of time in an organization that you just don't set like meeting free Friday. And so that that is almost space for people to, to catch up, to do work, to be creative Um, device-free days, Um, every meeting, you know, having that kind of the first minute might be that mindful minute just to get people decompressing from the last meeting and arriving in the meeting where they are, you know, um, listening clinics, you know, leaders to do listening clinics. They're not allowed to say anything. They just have to listen, you know? (laughs) So there's lots of things that I think we could do in organizations and and stopping stuff obviously I talked about that but to get the culture a more mindful culture so that people and and when you're more mindful you collaborate better you actually are more productive and focused on what matters most you're kinder you're a better human you know um every everything is better but it doesn't mean that hard stuff doesn't happen and you're not Mm -hmm. uncomfortable it's kind of you're learning to be with discomfort better I've heard the phrase trying you know you're you're able to be discomfortable you know so we need to get organizations discomfortable and just very mindful of each other and what's going on around us and aware of ourselves so if we can start with ourselves and everybody does that that's pretty profound shift yeah
0: yeah yeah oh so many this is such a good advice. There's, you've given so much good advice. Um, and while we're here, have you got any workshops or events or speaking engagements coming up that you'd like to let the listeners know about?
1: Cool. Yes. So um, in terms of the kind of workshops I offer, so I do emotional culture workshops. So it's like, how does the how do you want to feel and not feel to be successful in your team or in your role or in your workplace. So that's, uh, I do a lot of work around um, emotional culture. And so I've got some workshops around that. I also have a workplace mindfulness program called Finding Peace in a Frantic World, which is actually, um, I trained through Oxford University to deliver it. It's um, quite kind of excited about bringing it more into New Zealand and I can deliver that virtually as well. So I have, I do a lot of virtual stuff since COVID. And then I've kind of got leading change and navigating change workshops as well, which again can be done in person. Um, I am speaking at a Resilience Symposium in Auckland for anybody who wants to um, come and watch me there, which is at the end of May. Um, So it's the Cornets uh, Resilience Symposium. So I'll be talking about mindfulness as a superpower um, in the workplace and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I lead a monthly um, mindfulness catch-ups as well. If people ever want that, I run retreats. So there's lots going on. If people want to sign up to my newsletter, that's normally got what's coming up. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that's that's enough to be getting on with. Well, I'll list.
0: make sure all of that is included in the show notes. And you have a podcast as well called The Vulnerability Effects. so people can check that out for more Lottie and more vulnerability and mindfulness talk it I've I've listened to quite a few episodes it's a great podcast
1: oh oh, thank you yeah I just get people to share their story of vulnerability um because I believe vulnerability is a is a it's kind of a me too movement like everybody feels vulnerable you can't get away from it when you start to hear other people's stories of vulnerability it all of a sudden kind of makes you know it's not just me it's okay and gets people stepping forward more to share some stuff that's going on, which is a, a, I believe is so important to our mental health because we can sometimes hide it and it can really um, affect, have a detrimental effect on our mental wellness. Mm. Yeah. Mm.
0: And you can listen to that podcast where all good podcasts are streamed, hosted. So wonderful to have you on as a guest. Thank you so much for your time and for all of that advice.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I just love the work that you're doing. Um, you know, I am, I call myself a change geek. I think, you know, <laughs> change people are awesome. And I just think everybody needs to listen to podcasts like this and understand change and how to do it well, because it is the such an important capability that everybody needs, like everybody mm-hmm. needs, that like you can't escape it. Like any, anywhere you work, whatever job you do, the ability to navigate yourself and others through change is so important.
0: It is. You're preaching to the choir here. But thank you again. And for the listeners, we will be back next week with another episode.